Would you turn with me in the scriptures to Galatians chapter 5? This is another changed passage because of the change in the message. Galatians chapter 5, beginning at verse 16 through 26. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what's contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. Let's not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. The Word of the Lord. And then our text is from 1 Corinthians 13. As you know, because that's the series that we're working through. And so we're on verse 5, which says, Love is not rude, it's not self-seeking, as we heard about last week, and it's not easily angered. And that's the focus for tonight, and it keeps no record of, of wrongs. But it's not easily angered. Brothers and sisters in Christ, tonight as we continue our study of the most excellent way, as our study of 1 Corinthians 13, we're going to look at the next thing love is not. We started with that approach some time ago after looking at the couple of positives in verse 4. Love is patient, love is kind, and then love does not boast It's not proud, it's not rude, it's not self-seeking. Sometimes trying to understand what something is, it's really helpful to take a close look at what it isn't. And so tonight, love is not easily angered. And like all the other statements in this particular chapter, this is also a loaded statement. In an issue of World Vision's Child View, there was an article about a boy in Colombia by the name of Edder David Contreras, who served as a leader of a local chapter of a movement called Children Building Peace. And Edder, who was only 11 years old at the time of the interview, was asked, why is there so much violence in Colombia? Edder's Edder's answer, 
because adults get carried away with their anger. If a child's father is killed, that child holds his anger until he's older and can take revenge. This has happened with many of the guerrillas and paramilitaries. They think that they can solve things with violence. Nothing is solved like that. No one should take the law into their own hands, but should let the authorities decide on the proper punishment. How can children deal with their anger, Edder was asked. His answer, displaying wisdom way beyond his years, he's already displayed wisdom way beyond his years, was, as members of Children Building Peace, we have a rule that we pacify anger and leave it far behind. If I get angry, I try to calm down so I won't make my family have a violent attitude. At my school, I sometimes break up fights by pulling children apart and asking them how the problem started so they can take things calmly. Well, perhaps Edder should travel to all parts of the world and bring his advice to wherever people are angry. And if he were to start doing that, he'd have a lot of stops because anger seems to be prevalent in our world. And I don't think it would take us very long to come up with a list of examples of news stories soaked in situations where people were easily and quickly angered and then did something about it. And as we begin to compile that list, it ought not to include only places like Colombia or parts of the Middle East that we read about so much or the streets of Ferguson, but it also ought to include our own community and situations closer to home as well. Because let's face it, irritation, frustration, and anger is also found in our own community, in our own lives. When was the last time that you were angry, irritated, or angry, causing you to lash out in some way or another? This morning, perhaps. It begins already at a very early stage in our lives. A baby is irritated, angered, because it doesn't get the attention it figures it's owed. A child is angered when a brother or sister or friend want to play with his toys. A teenager is angered when parents lay down the law and the teen's not allowed to go out or do something else that she really wants to do. A student is angered by what appear to him to be unfair questions on an exam. We're angered, I know I am, we're angered when technology upon which we depend breaks down or doesn't work as well as we like it to work. We're angered very quickly when things don't go our way or we don't get what we want. We're quickly angered when a government makes a decision that we perceive to have a negative effect on our pocketbook or a negative effect on our town or our neighborhood. A spouse is quickly irritated when, when a partner seems to be preoccupied with something else, work or whatever. We are quickly angered when our, we are made to wait unexpectedly on the road because of construction and we have a schedule to keep. And there were stories the other day of those poles coming down on, I think it was Mill Street or whatever, and people just drove right through there anyway. When someone cuts us off, as we're driving along, or if a slower vehicle turns on the road ahead of us, we're not always very gracious in our response. 
Not everyone just shrugs it off. Anger can come from something as simple as being woken up from a nap or sleep by someone else's noise. Irritation, anger, quick to anger, all those things are not really that foreign to us. Well, as we consider anger, let's be honest, and let's agree that the reason we're often, we often get irritated or angry or are quick to anger is basically because, well, we are selfish people. We think that things ought to go as we expect things to go. In some sense, that's saying we think the world ought to revolve around us. And when we discover that life is not always about us or about our needs, we often get frustrated and we become irritated and we quickly become angry. And all of this shows that indeed we live in a fallen world for a world filled with anger, a world filled with irritated people, a world filled with revenge is a world that really doesn't understand the most excellent way. But while a change in attitude and while trying to pacify anger might cool down situations, as Edder suggests, the Bible would have us know that all this irritability and all this anger doesn't go away simply by just pulling back from it or from a change of attitude. I alerted you to this earlier, but Augustine, an early church father, claimed that our human restlessness and non-satisfaction and resultant irritability at, is at its deepest an urge for God. He said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. Lewis Smeads, the book that we're reading in, in, uh, as kind of a basis for all of these messages, translates that to read, we are irritable, O Lord, until we find our peace with you. And one can say this because among the many characteristics of love is this one. Love is not easily angered, says the NIV. Or as the Revised Standard Version puts it, love is not easily provoked. Or as J.B. Phillips puts it, love is not touchy. Or perhaps we could say love is not irritable. Eugene Peterson suggests that this verse can be read, love does not fly off the handle. Well, what does this mean? Well, love, agape love, as we have noted so far in this series, is an action word. Pastor John has said that on a number of occasions in earlier messages. All the words describing love are verbs. And so truly loving means that we turn the direction of the desire of our hearts not toward ourselves, but toward the needs of other people. And when we do that sincerely, then we're not going to be easily angered or easily irritated. And that's so because love, as described by 1 Corinthians 13, is the power to relate to other people's needs without demanding a return on our investment. The love described by 1 Corinthians 13 is the power to relate to other people's needs 
without demanding a return on our investment. That's the kind of love this chapter is talking about. As such, one who truly loves is a person who's not reaching out for personal self-fulfillment and happiness as much as for the fulfillment and happiness of others. One who loves is one who also seeks to imitate the Lord Jesus. As Ephesians 5.1 puts it, be imitators of God, therefore as dearly loved children, live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. If personal satisfaction is the only goal of life, it's going to be really hard to display the fruit of the Spirit that we just heard about it from Galatians 5, namely self-control. If the world is somehow expected to revolve around me, if that's my expectation, then anger will come very easily. But if the, if the me, myself, and I are dethroned, and if I take up my cross and follow Christ and the Lord and others become the goal of my life, then anger will not necessarily come as easily. That's the biblical teaching. As John writes, if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. God is love. He who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Love is so close to God's being. As a matter of fact, he is love, says the Apostle John. And so when we receive love, we receive God himself. Living in love, then, will bring us the restfulness that Augustine talked about, because living in love means living in Christ. It means that we are spirit-filled, which is precisely what the apostle is talking about here in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is not easily angered. In other words, love does not fly off the handle. It's long-suffering, tolerant. It can handle a lot. Notice the text does not say love does not become angry. Being not easily angered and getting angry are two different things. Anger is very real, a very real emotion, one which Jesus himself displayed when he drove the money changers out of the temple and so on. But in it, he didn't sin. Not all anger is necessarily sinful anger. Even the Bible recognized that when it says in Ephesians 4:26, in your anger, do not sin. And so, for example, being angry about an injustice or about unfaithfulness in a marriage, or about the ongoing problems of hunger or poverty, or about the constant grabbing after money in our society, are perhaps justified, righteous examples of anger. But even then, we have to be careful that we don't sin in such anger, which is very easy to do. For even when angry with and about those who consistently break the law or those who simply do not listen to our advice or about continuing government policies that take away Christian freedoms or that do not help the poor and those in need, in such anger we may not act in ways which go contrary to the commands of God. Self-control is 
through the Spirit. So when we are righteously angry about something, we have no right to disrespect someone or to hurt someone out of spite. When we are angry about something, we have no right to slander the other person or to make him or her look bad in another's eyes. When we are angry about something, to use a modern term, we have no right to diss anyone, to put anyone down, to call them all sorts of names. Interesting, uh, Justin Trudeau, the leader of the Liberal Party, said that this is something that he learned from his father, Pierre Trudeau. When he was in grade three, he went with his dad to the parliamentary cafeteria one time. He took note of the people around him, and he recognized some of them as being his father's political opponents. And some of you who lived through that time remember what, who some of those opponents uh, were. And so he started telling a grade three style joke about one of those political opponents. When his dad cut him off, looked into his eyes and told him that just because that individual was a political opponent, that didn't mean that he didn't respect that other person. And so Justin was taught that he could challenge the other person's views, but not the person himself. Making fun of or lashing out at those who we oppose is contrary to spirit-filled living. And revenge certainly has no place in anger either. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. That's another sermon some other time. If we are righteously angry about something, we have the freedom to do something about it which is constructive and through which the Lord receives the glory he's worthy to receive. But again, we must remember, as James writes in chapter 1, Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. And then elsewhere we read, don't let the sun go down on your anger. We need to resolve anger and get it so that it doesn't destroy with relationships with others or with the Lord. Actually, you know, if it really comes down to it, thankfulness is an antidote to anger. When we truly love, our thanksgiving will increase. Love has the power to overcome anger because it's the power to see life in some sense as a gift. And when we see life as a gift, we're also able to see the hand of the giver behind it all. And when we know the giver of every good gift, then we're also going to have a different perspective on life perspective quite different than what Edder experienced in his neighborhood, a perspective quite different than many people in this world seem to experience. Of course, all of this must once again be grounded in Jesus, who is and who was the personification of love. We read it earlier in, in Psalm 103, God is slow to anger and full of loving kindness. That means that God can get angry, and he did and still does. Man's disobedience and sin made the Lord very angry, but not angry in a way that he ranted or raved or threw a temper tantrum or let his people have it in a vengeful sort of way. It's not that God put people down and called them stupid or insensitive or anything of the sort. 
No, God did something very constructive about the sin problem. He didn't just push his anger aside and try to change his attitude. Rather, he did something about it. He sent his one and only son, Jesus. And then, as we noted this morning, as the son hung on the cross, God poured out his wrath on Jesus. But it wasn't just lost wrath. It wasn't just a tantrum with no purpose. It was not that God in Jesus just let a bunch of hurtful emotion fly so that Jesus got hurt out of spite. No, Jesus' sacrifice was a very deliberate act on God's part. It was an act of amazing, awesome love. His anger against Jesus on our behalf was to restore the relationship that he had with his people and to satisfy his justice. And it did. God's grace is so special. And that's also what we celebrate when we partake of Lord's Supper. Oh, so much more could be said. Love is not easily angered. A tough one, isn't it? I know it is for me. His anger seems to come so easily in our lives. Even though we love the Lord Jesus and we want to serve him, the reality is we haven't yet arrived. We are not as yet perfected, and we continue to wait for the day to come when all things will, will be made new, and how wonderful that will be. There will be no anger on the new earth. I wonder what that will be like. Meanwhile, as we fail and fail and, and fail again, we know that we can go to the Lord Jesus and find forgiveness in him and find hope in him that one day we shall never have the need for anger ever again. And so we need not despair. It doesn't mean that we do not need to work on curbing our expressions of anger. Of course not. We may still get angry at times. Love does not take that away. But our anger ought to change from a selfish form to that which is always looking out for me, myself, and I. And when our pleasure is not met, we get angry to a form of sinless, righteous anger, which may be expressed only once in a while when the moment is truly right and when we are focused on things that hurt others. Love is selfless, remember? It touches others. So rather than getting angry, we had better be working hard to, as the, as the Hebrews put it, stir up one another to love and good works. And when we live in such a way, then God will truly receive all the glory and the honor that he is worthy to receive. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for this amazing love in Christ Jesus. Oh Lord, when we hear about it, we hear that love is not easily angered, and we think about our own lives, and we think about what we experience and what we do and how we react and how quickly we often are, are made angry, then we know we've got a long ways to go. And so thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the cross. 
Thank you for what happened on that cross and for the victory won on that cross. And thank you, Lord, for reminding us also through the sacrament that you will forgive our sins, also our sin of easily being angered. Teach us to love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.